Good morning, everybody. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to your precious word, please open our minds to understand it and open our hearts to receive and respond to what you want to speak into our lives by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a series on ITV called Tales of the Unexpected. There was always a twist at the end. You could guarantee that something totally unexpected would happen. And sometimes something totally unexpected happens in our lives too. I mean, how many times have we said something like, well, I didn't expect that reaction. I didn't expect her to say that. I didn't expect him to do that. I didn't expect that to happen. Now, these were the sort of comments that people would have been making all the time as they saw Jesus in action. Here are just some examples of Jesus doing the unexpected. He touches a man with leprosy. He forgives people their sins. He uses various methods to bring healing, some rather unsavoury to us, it has to be said. He includes a hated tax collector in his twelve, not to mention a zealot. He breaks the Sabbath rules. He allows evil spirits to go into a herd of pigs. He spends time with the outcasts and marginalised of society. He walks on water to get to his disciples at three o'clock in the morning. He turns a few loaves and fish into a meal for thousands, twice. He speaks to Gentiles and even heals people in their households. He confounds the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman authorities. You might like to add more to that list. In fact, most of what Jesus said and did was unexpected. Mark could well have begun his gospel with these words, quote, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and added in brackets, so expect the unexpected. And that's the title of this sermon, Expect the Unexpected. In Mark 10, verses 32 to 52, that's the section I've been asked to preach on today, we have more examples of Jesus saying and doing the unexpected. So let's unpack this passage and see what happened that was unexpected. Now, please note that this passage contains three incidents, each of which is a study in itself. So we can't possibly cover all the points in one sermon. So let's begin by reading verses 33 to 34. Verses 33 to 34 of Mark chapter 10. We're going up to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, said. And the Son of Man, that's a title he used, meaning himself, will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, 
he will rise. Now, this was the third time that Jesus had told his 12 disciples what was going to happen to him. You may remember that after the first time, back in chapter 8, verses 31 to 33, Peter took Jesus to task. Why did he do that? Because what Jesus said was so unexpected. Why was it so unexpected? Because Jesus has been told by Peter that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And the Jews at that time believed that when the Messiah came, he would defeat the Romans and he would establish his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom on earth. So they would be top dogs for a change. They were fed up, fed up of being invaded and ruled over by foreign powers. First it was the Assyrians, then it was the Babylonians, then it the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Syrians, and now it's the Romans. The Messiah suffering and dying just was not part of their vision or tradition. It was a definite no-no. And this was in spite of the servant songs in Isaiah, which most Jews actually took to symbolise the nation, not a person. Even John the Baptist began to doubt whether Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Look at Luke 7 and verse 20. We get a sense of how deep-rooted this vision of the Messiah and his kingdom was when we recall the last question that the 11 disciples asked Jesus. In fact, it was the last thing they said to him. And the question was this, quote, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. The second time Jesus had told them about his death, back in chapter 9, verses 31 to 32, quote, they did not understand what he meant. We know why. And were afraid to ask him about it. Not surprising, after Jesus had rebuked Peter so strongly after the first occasion. And this time, the third, Jesus' prediction is recorded without any comment. But it does provoke a reaction from James and John, which shows how the disciples misunderstood what the kingdom of God was all about. Ah yes, James and John, who Jesus called the sons of thunder. See Mark 3 verse 17. Presumably he called them this because they were loud outspoken, insensitive and tactless. They even wanted to burn down a Samaritan village. See Luke 9:54. They were no-nonsense fishermen. They were the Zebedee brothers of Zebedee and Sons Fish, Fishmerchants.com, a flourishing commercial enterprise. No surprise then that they come to Jesus in a very brash way, 35 wanting to sit on his right and left, not asking if that might be possible, wanting to sit on his right and left when he established the earthly kingdom of God. In other words, they want the executive positions of authority and power in that kingdom. They want to be the top 
top dogs. And their mother was in on it too, according to Matthew 20, verse 20. Now, notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he patiently shows them that in order to share in his glory, they must also share in his sufferings, 38 to 39. And they did. James was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred, Acts 12, 1 to 2. And John experienced great persecution during his life. Now, not surprisingly, when the other ten disciples heard about this, quote, they became indignant with James and John, verse 41, which I always think is a bit of an understatement, actually. And this led to Jesus teaching all 12 of them something very unexpected. Namely, that being a leader in the kingdom of God isn't about lording it over others as it is in the kingdom of the world, it's about serving others. Quote, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's verses 42 to 44. So the essence, the main characteristics of being a disciple are humility and servanthood. Humility and servanthood. And the challenge for us all is this. How am I doing in the humility servanthood stakes? It seems John totally got this unexpected message because it's he who records how Jesus later washed the disciples' feet as an acted example of such humility and servanthood. See John chapter 13 verses 1 to 17. But then Jesus goes on to say something which would have been even more unexpected. And I'm quoting from verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Literally, if you look in the Amplified Bible, that's translated instead of many. And this is often known as the ransom saying. The ransom saying. And it's a key verse in this gospel. Now notice where it comes in Mark's narrative. It comes just before Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem and all that awaits him there. This ransom saying brings a whole new dimension. It brings a whole new layer of meaning as to why he was going to die. Because you see, in the three statements Jesus made about his death, he didn't explain there why he was going to die. 
But here in this ransom saying, he does. What was going to happen to him physically was not an end in itself. It was the means to an end. And the combination of suffering, service and death for the salvation of others that we see here points back to Isaiah chapter 53. In this ransom saying, Jesus is clearly identifying himself with the suffering servant portrayed there in Isaiah 53. On the cross, Jesus is paying our ransom. In other words, he is paying the price, paying the price so that we can be released from bondage to sin and death. Hallelujah. He's dying in our place and taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. Now note that this ransom is given for all, but it is not received by all. Hence it says, quote, give his life as a ransom for many, which underlines how important it is for me to make him my saviour. How can I do that? By repenting of my sins so that I can be cleansed and become a member of God's kingdom and his family. Have you done that? If not, speak about it to someone you trust. Also notice that when Jesus the servant king died there on the throne of his cross as our ransom, who was on his right and left then? Not James and John. Not James and John. Now we come to the last healing miracle recorded in Mark, that of blind Bartimaeus. And you'll find that in verses 46 to 52. Now we haven't got the time this morning to go into this miracle in depth. So if you want to read my full analysis of it, and indeed of all the miracles, have a look at what kind of power is this. And for my analysis of the parables that Jesus told, pointed and personal, will give you analysis of all those. So what happened in this incident, this healing of blind Bartimaeus, that was unexpected? Well, I would suggest Jesus did three unexpected things. First of all, he made an unexpected response. Secondly, he took unexpected action. And thirdly, he asked an unexpected question. But before we consider the first of these, try and imagine the scene outside the city of Jericho that day. Imagine the heat, the noise, the atmosphere, as the local beggars gather, including blind Bartimaeus, 46, and the crowd following Jesus 
approaches. Bartimaeus asks what's happening and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth, 47, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Bartimaeus must have thought, isn't this the one I've heard of? Who heals the sick, makes the lame walk and the blind see? No wonder Bartimaeus begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, 47. And now we get the totally expected reaction of the people around him. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus refuses to allow these voices to influence him and, quote, he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me, 48. That's twice now that he shouted, son of David. Now note that son of David is actually a title. It's a title meaning Messiah. And interestingly, this is the only place in the whole of Mark's gospel where this title is used, Son of David. But unexpectedly, considering what Jesus has done on previous occasions, where if you remember when he healed people, he told them to keep quiet about it, to not tell anybody because he didn't want the fact that he was the Messiah to become openly known until he was ready. Well, now he is ready because you see here, he doesn't rebuke Bartimaeus for identifying him as the Messiah. The time for secrecy is over. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way there to openly declare that he is the Messiah with all the repercussions that that will entail. So, what does Jesus do? Well, he does something unexpected, of course. In verse 49, we read, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. What significant words these are. The Messiah, the Son of God, has time for him, a blind nobody. He has time. Time to stop. Time to meet with Bartimaeus up close and personal. Jesus is responding to the faith which underpins the blind man's desperate cries. He stops near to where Bartimaeus is. And you know, the glorious truth is that Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. And not only that, but he has time for you. He has time for me. Just like Bartimaeus, you, you are important to God. You matter to him. Don't listen to those voices. Don't listen to the crowd around you. Don't listen 
to those voices that tell you you don't matter. Don't listen to those voices that tell you God doesn't care about you. Don't listen any more than Messiah, uh, Bartimaeus did. All it did was encourage Bartimaeus to cry out to the Messiah even more. Son of David, have mercy on me. But as we see from what follows, we have to come to him. We have to come to him. So Jesus stops and then he says, verse 49, call him. Call him. He expects Bartimaeus to come to him. And Bartimaeus responds. Look at verses 49 and 50. No half-hearted response here. Just wholehearted, energetic, even frenzied action. He throws. He jumps. He comes. And what does he get? He gets an unexpected question from Jesus. We see it in verse 51. Here's the question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus must have thought, isn't it blindingly obvious what I want you to do for me? Now, there are two important points arising from this. First of all, Jesus required Bartimaeus to be specific. To be specific. He had various problems and he requires us to be specific as well. The reason is that specific prayers can be seen to have been answered and due praise given to God as it was here, if you look at Luke 18, 43. And the second important point is this. It was essential that Bartimaeus should hand over the problem of his own free will to Jesus and submit it to him to deal with. You see, God never intervenes in any of our problems unless we hand them over to him. Verse 52 tells us what happened next. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. End of quote. And he could see. He could see Jesus. He could see Jesus face to face. How wonderful, don't you think? How wonderful. That must have been for Bartimaeus to see his healer, to see the Messiah, the Saviour, face to face. And you know, one glorious day, one glorious day, that will be our experience too, to see Jesus face to face. Because Jesus stopped, Bartimaeus could go. But where would he go now that Jesus had met with him? He could have gone back to Jericho with his life changed thanks to his meeting with Jesus, but not going anywhere as a result. 
He made a different choice. Instead, we're told in verse 42, quote, that he followed Jesus along the road. He followed Jesus along the road. And, you know, being a disciple is all about following Jesus on the upward road. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem was a difficult, even a dangerous one. It was certainly an upward road, not to mention an uphill struggle. It went from 800 feet below sea level, where Jericho was located, up to 2,500 feet above sea level at Jerusalem, with many twists and turns, and all in the short distance of 17 miles. Now, that route certainly would have been included in the Tour de Palestine cycle race, if there'd been one. And that road is wonderfully symbolic of our upward road of pilgrimage, which leads from Jericho, representing our starting point where we met with Jesus, to our glorious destination, the new, the new Jerusalem. See Revelation chapter 21. There'll be many difficulties, dangers and struggles along the road, but you know there is also great joy, great joy on this journey, because Jesus is walking with us. And we have Christian friends who surround us, support us, pray for us, encourage us and share our burdens. And this is so true in the particular situation we all find ourselves in due to the coronavirus outbreak. May we never tire of ministering to one another in these strange and unprecedented times. In conclusion then, when it comes to meeting with Jesus, we should always expect the unexpected. This should be our attitude every time we come together as a church. This should be our attitude every time we come together to pray. This should be our attitude as we move into this new season in the life of the church, which will undoubtedly involve change. Here's a final challenge for us all. What will happen what will happen when God wants you, when God wants me, to do something that we didn't expect him to? When God asks me, when God asks you to do something unexpected, what will your response be when that happens? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid our ransom on the cross, that you have time for us, and that you have called us to walk the upward road of discipleship with you in humility, serving one another and the community. Lord, we revel in the fact that you are a God of the unexpected, we pray that you will do unexpected things 
in our community and in this city that will shake it to its foundations. Reveal your glory among your people, O Lord, and may you find each one of us willing to do your will, however unexpected that may be. Amen. God bless you all.